you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Jonah. We're not in 1 Corinthians this morning, we're in Jonah. We'll, uh, everybody knows the story of Jonah, so I'm not going to read the whole passage. We're gonna, I'm going to read it as we go through the passage this morning. Have you ever experienced this? Boys, please take the wrestling and the running outside. A couple of minutes later, you hear all chaos break out, glass shatter, and silence. You follow a blood trail that leads into the room, and you see this little figure behind the curtain. You open the curtain, and there sits the boy child, bleeding. Now, like all good dads, you would run to your room to get your phone, take a picture of the situation, and then obviously you'll rush him to the hospital. You won't just leave him there to bleed out. Now, this morning we see something similar. We see God giving Jonah instructions. He disobeys, chaos follows, and God using the situation to save people for His glory. I want us to look at three characteristics of God and God's persistent commitment to reconcile His people with Himself. So let us read verses 1 to 3, because that brings us to the first characteristic. Our great God reveals His instructions. Let's read from verse 1 to 3. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of God. Now we know throughout all the ages, God reveals his instructions through his word. In the Old Testament, as we read, God approaches people personally, specifically the prophets, as we read now with Jonah. But he uses his words to instruct his people. And this morning, we read about Jonah. He's a very privileged individual. God speaks to this man directly. Who wishes God can speak to you directly? Audible. Well, Jonah was that man. Jonah, we know, is a prophet. He prophesied against certain kings, especially the king Jeroboam II, the evil king. In 2 Kings 14, verse 25, it says that God sent Jonah to prophesy against Jeroboam II. So he's a, a chosen man that reveals God's will and word to God's people. He spoke directly to Jonah. Now we see the Lord send word to Jonah. God instructs Jonah to get up and go. Go to that great city of Nineveh. Go and speak to them. Preach to them, saying that destruction is to follow. Why? Because you're wicked. I cannot stand you in front of my face. 
You are doing evil, and I'm going to destroy you if you don't turn to me. This is what Jonah needs to be doing. Go preach so that people can repent. Now, who was in Nineveh? It was the Assyrians. They were wicked people. They weren't as powerful as the Babylonians. So what they did was to intimidate their enemies. They would capture a few people from the city and then put them through torture, cutting off fingers, pulling off nails, gruesome stuff, burning them alive for the city to see what they do, and then people submit and they give over the city. I mean, this city is as bad as it gets. People are wicked. They are ruthless. Now God says, Jonah, go to this city, this enemy of Israel. Go and preach to them saying, repent and turn to God because I want to save certain people in the city. Jonah, what do you think he, he thinks of this idea? God, you want me to go and preach to my enemy? Those people that torture others and intimidate others and taking land? Surely not. Surely not. So, what does he do? He gets up. Oh, okay. He's going to go pre... Uh, nope. He heads the other way. He goes to Tarshish. Now, Nineveh, your side, Nineveh is very close to Israel. It's the modern-day Turkey. It's just there. Jonah decides he wants to go all the way to the other side, to modern-day Spain. That's where Tarshish is. No, Lord, you want me to go this way? I'm going to go that way. Complete different directions because of the enemy. I will not preach the good news to those people. Never. He's fleeing from the presence of the Lord. Did you hear that? He's fleeing from the presence of the Lord. He's neglecting his responsibility as a prophet. A prophet needs to share the word from God. He decides, no, I'm ducking. I'm out of here. I'm going as far as possible. I am going to flee away from God. Now, it's interesting because Jonah would have Scripture available to him. He's a prophet. And we know from Genesis 12, verse 1 to 9, that it was always God's plan to save a people for himself. And that was even before the nation of Israel was started. He wanted all people, all tribes, sons, and nations to worship him as God. I mean, God told Abraham to similar words. Go from your country and kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. Your name will be great. There will be a blessing on all the families of the earth, and they shall be blessed through you. Can you see? God's got a purpose. He wants people to come into his kingdom through means to what? To worship him. Abraham was obedient. He got up and he left. And we know the story that follows. God graciously saved him. Gave him offspring as numerous as the sand on the seashore and as, as numerous as the stars in the sky. 
And we can all thank our stars and the Lord that we are part of Him through Jesus. It was through Him that all of this is possible. Because God is God, He wants to save a people for His glory. Now, just a, a quick side note. God told Jonah that he needs to go to Nineveh because their evil, that city, came up before him. You cannot hide anything from God. Nothing. Which clearly indicates that nothing escapes God. Jonah tries and escape God. God, I know I can't do this, but I'm going to try anyway. Psalm 139 that was written before Jonah, verse 7 to 8 says, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. Yet Jonah decides to go, flee from the presence of God. Clearly, Jonah did not like the instruction God gave him. Why? Quickly, go to verse 2 in chapter 4. He says, And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Jonah knew, I know that you want to save those people. And I'm going to neglect that and flee from you. I know that you're a God that is loving, that wants to save people, but you're not going to use me. I'm out of here. Gone. I mean, in those days, if you're a, a friend of Assyria, you're an enemy of God's people, the Israelites. Now, God, you expect me to go against my nation, my people, and go to those people? So I'm going to duck and get out. But if you know your history... Jeroboam II is not much holier than the Assyrians. Sleeping around, having idol worship parties. That was Jeroboam. Now Jonah says, no, you know, we are the nation of God. Those people, you know? No, 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 no. But they're in the same boat. They're just as evil. But no, those are not my people. I am going to neglect your instruction, God. I know it. I believe it. But I'm going to flee away from your presence. Family, is this where we are? Neglecting the instruction of God. Running away from God's instruction in fulfilling the purpose of saving people. Instructions like the family. Spouses covenanting to one another to love and to serve and to outdo one another because they love God. That's an instruction. Children not obeying your parents in the Lord. Parents provoking your children to wrath 
not pointing them to Christ? That's a very small circle. Instruction to the family. But let's cast the net a little bit wider. This family, the church. Neglecting to work and pray for the unity and the spirit of peace within the congregation. Not caring for one another. Do you know what? I am really too busy. I cannot come alongside that brother or sister. Never mind the people out there. I just cannot do that. Not regularly attending church gatherings and faithfully praying for one another. Not rejoicing in others' happiness or bear each other's burdens. Not giving regularly to the church for the furtherance of the gospel. Not fighting your own sin. Not pursuing people with the gospel. And not seeking a gospel preaching church when you leave here. Those are clear instructions. And it might ring a bell in saying, Oh, Tommy, you're quoting the covenant of the church that the members, are, uh, that the members submit to. Now, how does the, the family and, and the covenant play into Jonah? It's just, where's the connection here? Well, that is the bare essential instruction from God to the church to be healthy. If the family life is disjointed and disordered, the church would be. And if the church is disordered, neglecting the instructions of God, we will not take the gospel to the world. It's impossible. Because you'll be so self-focused, it's me, myself, and I, that you would neglect those people. If we fight here, you're not going to be joyful out there. Before I went to India as a missionary, I can remember Christo told me, he says, Tommy, if you neglect to share the gospel here with a language that you understand, very comfortable, you are not going to do it on the field. And it's exactly here. If we don't love one another, if we ignore the instructions of God's word in preserving unity and the bond of peace, giving and loving, suffering with one another, just those bare essentials of a church, you are not going to do it out there. Jesus said, people will know me through the love that you have for one another. So people need to know about God. Right, Jonah? Yes. Well, then we need to do something here. That is the bare essential. Family, if we neglect our responsibilities here by running away, we will not reach the nations with the good news. If our families and our church is disjointed, so will our witness to the people out there. Can I ask you, who is your Nineveh? In the church? Someone? Really, God? You want me to love that one? I'm not going to reach out to them. I mean, they're as bad as it gets. They didn't even commit to membership. Really? No. To the person sitting here today that knows God, but is running away from Him. Running away from God because you just cannot submit to His standards. Running away from Him and hiding away from Him because you enjoy your sin too much. 
Stop. Stop hiding. Stop running. You cannot run or hide from God. It's like that little blood trail that you hide behind the curtains. Curtains are supposed to lay flat. And you're just going to, and this huge bubble comes out. The Lord's going to find you. If you have not committed your life to Christ, today is the day. Come out from out the curtain and submit to Jesus. Which brings us to our second characteristic of God. Verses 4 to 16. Our great God reveals His presence. It says, But the Lord, again, hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hauled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and he laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you do? What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know and whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hold me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. But they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Now again we see in verse 4 that the Lord, the Lord. Now these poor sailors, they did not know that God was coming in vengeance. The Lord hurls a great storm, just throws water and waves and lightning, and the more they receive, the more they try and get rid of. It was so bad that the ship threatened to break. And where's Jonah? Look at verse 5. Jonah is down in the ship. He's down sleeping. At first, Jonah went down to Joppa to go down to Tarshish. 
Now he's down in the ship and he's down snoring. That's where Jonah is. He's down, out from the presence of God. And this is the first time we see the word fear come up. These sailors were afraid of the storm. And who caused this storm? It was God. God brought the storm. And this is the first stage of the sailors breeding a healthy fear of God. Fair enough, these sailors, they feared the creation, the sea, the lightning, the wind. And they cried out to their gods. Because they thought, oh, one of them must be angry. I mean, really. The captain goes down to Jonah And he says basically what God said to Jonah. Arise, come up and pray so that we might know what is happening. Now they're finding themselves casting lots. So Jonah went up with the captain and he's on the deck and they're casting lots. And it's kind of humorous that God is even powerful and in control of casting lots or dice. And lo and behold, Jonah, you the guy. And then there's rapid fire questions. I mean, who are you? Where are you from? What are you doing? Why is this happening to us? And it's just, bah, 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 bah. what's going on here? And Jonah finds himself in a very awkward position. He knows why he's there, he knows who he is. He's the prophet of God, he's the one that needs to speak truth. Now, God is against him. What am I supposed to say? I'm the one. God is angry with me. He wants me to turn around. Jonah, what's going on? Verse 9, Jonah could no longer answer that he's a prophet of God. He's running away from God. But God pursues him. And this is the second time the word fear comes up. And I believe that Jonah is confessing. He says, I fear God. I was down asleep, but now, and he looks around, the creator God is coming after me. Jonah exclaims that he fears the Lord, and he calls him the creator of sea and dry land. He is the God. Because of God's presence in the storm, Jonah realized what he has done. It's my sin that these men are going to perish. It's my fault. I didn't do what the Lord said. And now look. Jonah leaves no empty space in the sailors' minds. God is the creator God. He is the one. And they believed him. He was preaching to the sailors the same message that he should have preached in Nineveh. And you'll see he'll preach that again in chapter 3. But now he's doing it. And then in verse 10, the sailors, for the third time now, the word fear comes up, is exceedingly afraid. What have you done? You say that you're worshiping the God that does all of this? Are you nuts? Why would you run from this God? Are you not afraid? They know Jonah is fleeing from the Creator God. Because no, no, Jonah t- tells him, did I just say Noah? Jonah. Jonah is fleeing from God, the Creator. 
They're asking him, what shall we do? It's almost the same question in Acts 2 where they ask Peter, what shall we do to be saved? And Jonah says, grab me, leave the cargo, chuck me overboard. He wants us to do what? Pick me up, hurl me over. God is throwing down the storm. The sailors are throwing cargo. And Jonah says, stop. Throw me. I'm the one here that's guilty. Throw me overboard and you'll be okay. I remember experiencing something like that in December 2021. Three men and I signed up to compete in the world's most dangerous motorsport on sea. Foolish as that might be. But I can still remember day three, when still by, Dwayne and I ready for the hooter to go off to jump on this little bitty bit, tiny little boat into the open sea, jump on the rubber duck, and off we went. Now, still by is a beautiful enclosed beach, and it was reasonably rough. We ramped over the waves, all went well, until we turned the corner into open sea. My, it was rough. They were predicting six-meter swells, dark weather. We couldn't see land at one stage. And all I could do is hold on, trust Dwayne to either slow down or speed up. I can throw my body around trying to keep us afloat, because that was my job. And the waves came. Six meters, you would go up, and you don't know what's going on on the backside of that wave. Sometimes another wave will catch you, or other times it'll just free fall, down. Seeing sharks, wave over wave. And I must be honest, I don't know about you, but a couple of times I literally prayed out loud and said, Lord, if today is my day. (laughs) It was scary. And obviously that was my own fault because I signed up for the boat race. But it is scary if you're not in control and you see that you are going to die. Hebrews 10.31 says, It is fearful to fall into the hands of the living God. You cannot joke around about that. And these men clearly expressing this. Jonah, what have you done? This God, the Creator You ran away from him, and fear strikes them. No, but they didn't want to spill innocent blood. And so they took the oars, and they tried to row even harder. We don't want to kill this man. And the Lord just kept on. He increases the waves. He increases the winds, because he's in control of that. And they realized that they cannot outrun God. Just like Jonah. And they confessed. They prayed to Jonah's God. Saying, Lord, we do not want to spread innocent blood. Please forgive us for what we are doing. But this man says it's the only hope in life and death. We need to chuck him overboard. So please forgive us. So they grabbed him. And they threw him over. There goes Jonah. And then for the fourth and last time, the word fear comes up. These sailors feared the Lord 
exceedingly. Because now, everything's calm, quiet. They submitted to God. They did what His prophet said. They obeyed. They professed Him as God, the one that saves. And it's quiet. No more wind. No more waves. They offered a thanksgiving sacrifice and they made vows to God, praising Him for answering them. Lord, you spared us. We asked you not to kill us because we are sacrificing this guy and you answered our prayers. You must be the only living God. Wow. Imagine that. You pray, you obey, you confess, you follow the instructions, and God delivers. They fear the Lord. And their fear drove them to worship. They didn't just say, thank you, off we go. No. They feared the Lord and worshipped Him. Brought Him sacrifices. Brought Him vows of commitment. Lord, you, you're the true God. And I want to serve you. That's what they're doing. They felt God's presence in the storm. And that drove their fear to God. And that fear drove them to worship. I want us to appreciate this progress, uh, the progression of fear here and the fruit of it. We see each time when we read about the fear of the sailors, they move closer to the right kind of fear. First, the sailors were afraid of the storm. Then they were afraid of what Jonah proclaimed, the God. Then they feared God himself. And then they feared God, the creator. But that all came about, Jonah's preaching and proclaiming the truth, with God's presence driving them, reminding them. Can you see through the experience how the right fear of worship comes about? You see God for who He is. You fear Him in a healthy way, knowing that your confession leads to conversion and that conversion leads to worship. Can any of the kids quote 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10? I know it was one of your memory verses. Who's brave enough to do that? No one. Okay, I'll read it. It says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Can you see a healthy, godly grief of your sin, just like Jonah, just like the sailors profess, please don't kill us, produces a repentance that leads to salvation. The Lord saved these sailors. But now, what are we to do with this? Where are we in our worship? Do we worship God for who He is? Can we say that, a healthy, that we have a healthy fear of God? Is our fear of God's presence driving our worship? Brothers and sisters, He is here. 
Let that sink in. When we sing, when we listen, when we read, when we pray, He's here with us. Does our healthy fear of God drive us to fight our own sin? Will you, like the sailors, bow down and worship God for who He is and what He has done for you? Those are questions that we need to think about. Do you fear the right God? And if you do, what do you do about it? Does that lead your worship? But what about Jonah? Now, Jonah, I can just see him bobbing up and down in the sea. He's there. What about him? And that brings us to our third and last characteristic of God. Verse 17, our great God reveals His grace. It says, and the Lord, again, the Lord, appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish Three days and three nights. I will see God's grace at work here. Jonah sacrificed himself, and now he's floating in the sea. But not did God only save the sailors. He saves Jonah by a huge fish swallowing Jonah. Now, I'm sorry to ruin your old upbringing and catechism, But Jonah has got nothing to do with a fish. Don't let that distract you. He plays a part, obviously. But it's God's creation saving Jonah. What we have here is not the fish saving Jonah. It's our gracious God that saves Jonah. Even though Jonah was disobedient and rejected God's instruction and fled away from his mission and the presence of the Lord, God saves him because of his repentance. He said, I fear the Lord. That's why I'm saying to you, cast me over. I have a price to pay. Now, I want us to just quickly go back to Jonah's sacrificial deed here. Through Jonah's sacrificial act, offering himself... For these sailors, their lives were spared. God revealed him through Jonah and the message Jonah brought to these sailors. I serve this God. The only way you'll be saved is through me sacrificing my own life. And now, graciously, God saves Jonah through the fish. We know another man that stands in contrast to Jonah. And his name is Jesus. Where Jonah was disobedient to God and his instructions, Jesus was obedient to God's instructions. Where Jonah ran away, Christ came to earth to serve, to preach the good news. Where Jonah hid away, Jesus went public and he professed the good news. Jesus proclaimed the word. Where Jonah was a man, Jesus is God. Jonah deserved to die. Jesus did not deserve to die because he was sinless. The only similarity between Jonah and Jesus is that both of them gave their life 
for someone else. It's a sacrificial death. Jonah's act, however, saved these sailors only for a while, only physically. Jesus, on the other hand, he died for your sin for eternity. Always to bring you into God's family forever. Not to see death again spiritually. To be with him in paradise. He saved you a sinner. Jesus came down to identify with us in human form. And because we are all sinners, we can't work our way out of this. No matter how hard you row, no matter how many cargo pods or whatever you throw overboard, you cannot save yourself. Only Jesus can because he's sinless. We are sinners. That is why we need Jesus, the sinless one, God himself, absorbing the judgment storm of God. And when you profess Jesus as the only Savior and that you need him as a Savior because you're a sinner, the storm dies away. That judgment of God the Father fades away because you're in Jesus. Titus 2 verse 14 says, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Jonah spent three days and three nights in the fish. And your mind immediately, hopefully, would jump to Jesus, right? Jesus spent three days and three nights in the grave. It talks about his death, burial, and resurrection. That's, that's where you would be lying to, right? I mean, Jesus even quotes it in, in Matthew 12, verse 40. But let's not forget that we are privileged to know that. Back in those days, the Israelites would read this, and they wouldn't necessarily have the mind of Jesus as a person. Yes, they would think of the Messiah that would come because that was prophesied, but they wouldn't read Jesus into this. So what does this all mean? I mean, Jesus quotes it. Now, the people, it's right here. What does this mean? Well, it's pointing people to the fact that Nineveh repented. Quickly look at chapter 3, verse 6 to 10. It says, The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. And let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hand. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Can you see that this sign of Jonah is a sign of a remembrance. It's a sign to say you need to repent and believe in God. 
That's what they did here. And Jesus did the exact same thing in Matthew 12, 40. He used Jonah, quoting Jonah, this exact, exact same verse, to say, what did it mean then? It, rem- it, 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 it was a sign to the people back then to repent and believe. Jesus says, I am like Jonah. I'm going to spend three days, three nights in the ground. Why? To show you that I am God. And then there's a rhetorical question, are you going to believe? Are you going to repent like Nineveh? Or not? And we know the story. The nation of Israel rejected Christ. They said, no, we will not be like the heathen. We're not going to recognize you as God, even though you were in the grave and now you're alive. Physically, there he is. No, it's not good enough for me. I'm not going to believe in the Savior. He rose from the dead. He is alive. Jesus himself. No, it's not good enough for me. But that's what he said. I'm like Jonah. I was dead. But I'm going to be alive. What are you going to do about it? Are you going to believe? My question to you today, hearing about God saving his people, the creator God almighty over the seas and the earth, the gracious God that wants to save people, Jesus quoting here, saying, here I am. I am Jesus. My question to you is, are you going to repent and believe like the Ninevites? Or are you going to be like a Jonah in the, in the beginning? No, 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 no. I'm, I'm going to head that way. Jesus, I know they, that's where you are. No, I, I want to go there. I, I like the vomit and the, and the wonderful joys of the world. Will you repent and believe in Jesus alone? So we know that God is a merciful and gracious God. It says there in chapter 4. He is the only one that can save you, a sinner. God rules over storms, over the boat, and over the creation, the fish. Will you follow his instruction? Or will you play around until chaos and blood flows? Will you run away and and hide behind the curtains? God will find you. Or will you acknowledge God's presence and react in worshiping? Our great God. Let us pray. Oh God, we praise you that you are the creator of heaven and earth. You're the God that rules over all things. Lord, we're thankful that you came to save, that you sent your son Jesus. I pray that many today would believe on you, confess their sin, and worship you as the creator, as the only one that can save sinners. We pray that you would stir our hearts not to run away from your instructions, but to pursue your instructions in making disciples. Lord, we plead with you, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.